Hello and welcome to the Modern Adventurer podcast, where explorers and adventurers tell their stories. Coming up. And like I was just just taking a picture and suddenly this like bullet hit the sand right next to me and kind of exploded. <laughs> like, um, it's like obviously the you know, first thing that goes through your head is like, shit, I'm being shot at here. So it's kind of dived into this little cave um, and it was bullets going off all over the cliff around me. Uh, and yeah, it was pretty, pretty terrifying <laughs> in the moment. I'm John Horsfall, and on this weekly podcast, we talk to adventurers and explorers from around the world who have made remarkable and daring journeys in recent years. From Everest climbers to polar explorers, world record holders, and many more. I hope this podcast sparks ideas and inspires you to explore and go on your own grand adventure. My next guest is a survival consultant, adventurer, and TV presenter. She is widely known for her work alongside Bear Grylls on a number of shows. She is the author of Mind of a Survivor, a book about resilience and fear and how that can be adapted. Today on the podcast, we talk about some of her incredible expeditions. While working with rangers out in Kenya to be shot at by tribesmen, she has an array of stories. So I am delighted to introduce Megan Hine to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Finally got back to you after months of ignoring your email. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very kind and I can't thank you enough for coming on. I, I'm really excited to sort of get into this because you're a survival sci- survivalist and you probably have so many stories to cover and I'm sure we can't get quite through them all on the podcast. But for people listening who don't know you, probably the best place to start is at the beginning and how you became a sort of survivalist expert and the sort of growing up and what sort of how you got into it <laughs> yeah so yeah so i'm basically a wilderness guide a survivalist and producer on some of the biggest adventure shows on tv which basically means i get to look after the safety of high profile individuals and uh, film crews and make them look epic on TV. <laughs> Come up with the content for that. So it's quite a quite a mixed bag, really, of what I do. Um, I suppose, yeah, I, it's something I've always done. Like my, uh, I was very very fortunate that all my family holidays when I was growing up were into the mountains. My dad was a geologist originally, so <laughs> we spent a lot of time when I was a kid looking for fossils and heading into the mountains to go and like look at rocks and things, <laughs> get up close and personal with them. So. Yeah, I had like an amazing childhood, really, kind of quite a feral. Um, every every summer we'd be off for like weeks on end in this little caravan. Um, I'm one of four, so it was like six of us in this tiny little caravan um, having like adventures all over the UK. So uh, I think I was very, very fortunate. Um, I was very involved with like the military cadets as well. And through that, uh, I was able to get my hands on like loads and loads of adventurous training. So like winter climbing in Scotland, whitewater kayaking, all of these amazing experiences, which kind of really set me on my path to where I am today. Oh, amazing. So actually Bear Grylls is a complete drip and it's all you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I suppose my uh, career is based on discretion. (laughs) (laughs) To be quite diplomatic about these things, no. But no, I've been working with Bear actually for, well, for about 14 years now. Um, I kind of, I think I kind of fell into the TV side of things. Um, I picked up quite a random array of qualifications and skills. Um, so like my career originally was very much focused on the mountains. I was like absolutely obsessed with rock climbing and mountaineering and skiing and things. And, um, that was where my focus of my career was on, um, and then I ended up doing a like an apprenticeship in bushcraft and survival. It just seemed like a quite a cool thing to do. And I spent three years doing that and then sort of leading expeditions, like very much anthropological based expeditions. Um, and suddenly I was going off to jungles and deserts and all of this. And this, this was in my like late teens, early 20s. Um, and I was working with like some of the most amazing people, like jungle warfare specialists and mountain guides and all these absolutely incredible people. Um, and kind of got this real random, like sort of load of experience of kind of like stunt rigging through to like expedition leading through to kind of the medical side of things. Um, and then at some point I got contacted, I was working for a bushcraft company, uh, leading expeditions for them. 
and uh, they were they'd just been asked to do the survival consultancy for the original Bear Grylls Man vs Wild shows, um, and they wanted to build a team, and they needed somebody who could rig the stunts. Uh, so they invited me along to to do that. Um, and yeah, this was like 14 years ago now. And then I kind of stuck. And I think they realized the TV production companies realized that it was actually cheaper to employ one person who could do like the survival and the rigging <laughs> and looking after people uh, rather than employing one person for each job. Amazing. So I, what I what I think so interesting is the sort of why and the sort of psychology, because you put yourself under enormous stresses in the wild and especially you who's sort of well trained in it how do you think sort of people adapt in those situations um, so this is a really fascinating question and I've, so, yeah, I've spent the past 20 years like looking after people in some pretty extreme uh, remote wilderness environments and I think we completely kind of underestimate the benefits and the effects of uh, spending time in nature um, and I think like the therapeutic benefits of spending time outside are, are absolutely massive and this is just you know this isn't necessarily going and you know climbing Everest or you know going and surviving in the Amazon rainforest or wherever it is it's like literally just going out into nature um, but I think the extreme end of that is you know is the the effects that I've seen on the people that I've guided, because typically I tend to be in very remote and what could be considered quite extreme environments. And they, it's so powerful, like taking people into these environments and seeing, and I see it time and time again, like the hundreds, probably thousands of people that I've taken into, into these places. Um, and I've literally at times dropped people into these environments and been dropped by myself as well with like, with very, very little with you. So like a knife and a machete or, you know, medical pack or something just in case the shit hits the fan and things go downhill. Um, and it's just incredible to see how people step up in those situations when the consequences are severe. Uh, it's amazing, like how strong and how resilient we really are. And I think this is something like resilience has been kind of thrown around at the moment it's a, it's a word we hear a lot and it kind of it seems sounds like quite a happy place and all of this stuff but like resilience is doing whatever it takes to survive um, and we are all resilient like every single one of us our bodies are fighting for survival all the time every cell in our body is resilient it wants to survive we want to survive and we put ourselves into these situations and it's like really at these extremes it's where I see people kind of step into their own um, or fall apart. Um, and that's what I find incredibly fascinating is like, what is the difference between those that don't just survive, but thrive under pressure and in these environments and those that kind of fall apart. And often those that fall apart are those that society wouldn't expect to. And those that do really well and thrive are the ones that often like like women and children, for example, that, you know, society's kind of got used to assuming that are weaker uh, emotionally. And it's just incredible seeing people come into their own. And I think like the power of adventure, the power of actually going and spending time in these uh, environments and pushing yourself. And this is I, I don't encourage people just to randomly go off and step out of their comfort zone, <laughs> you know, the way that. I work and, you know, this is the way the power of being on like a guided adventure or having somebody with you who knows what they're doing is that you can step outside of your comfort zone within, for example, my comfort zone. So my comfort zone, because just because I've spent so much time in these environments is going to be much bigger than the average person's comfort zone in that environment. So, you know, within my comfort zone, they can step out of theirs. Um, and that is it's incredibly empowering for that person. And it boosts confidence. It, it build, brings people together again as well, because I think there's so many things that we've lost in the way that we live today. Um, and one of those being connection, um, connection with other people. We live very isolated lives and we've definitely seen that throughout the pandemic. Um, connection with the natural world. You know, we've become so removed from that and connection with ourselves. We've created all these incredible ways to kind of be our priorities of survival, our basic human needs, like nutrition, water, uh, shelter, <laughs> all of these things like sleep as well, uh, by creating screens, by creating stimulants, all of these things were absolutely amazing at being able to create these things to kind of beat 
uh, our basic human needs. But by doing that, we've become quite disconnected. So going back into these places and really kind of stripping away like the modern trappings and going back to the very vulnerable human beings that we are underneath it all is, is incredibly powerful. Where do you think sort of resilience is taught? Because I imagine some people listening to the podcast might think, oh, you're just born with it. But I, I sort of feel it's something that is very much easily sort of channeled over years of putting yourself into these harsh environments. Yeah, so I think like, resilience is is something that we're all born with the potential for, for sure. Um, resilience tends to come with exposure to challenge and overcoming that challenge, um, which I think is why I'm an ambassador for, for the Scout organization. And I think this is where, like, where what we've seen, like with the Scouts coming out the back of, of uh, lockdown and the pandemic is actually really fascinating because they have a program called Skills for Life, which is about uh, encouraging young people to have as many different experiences and different challenges as possible in their lives. Um, you know, from learning skills with like music, from getting out there in the community and interacting, sports, adventure, all of these different ways that we can challenge ourselves when we're younger. Um, it can also come from uh, challenges such as traumatic experiences as well. Um, but then, you know, in that term, it's like we kind of have almost have breaking points uh with those experiences as well so when we experience traumatic uh trauma we have to you know there can be a breaking point there which then you know sometimes needs external help then to kind of be able to manage that and then be able to use that experience as a as growth into kind of stepping back into kind of into resilience but there are different traits that make up resilience and I've been doing this is a, a topic I'm really fascinated in doing a lot of research into at the moment. Um, and there's a lot of, there's various traits that make up resilience and we may be operating with some of those traits uh, being at a higher level than others. And I think when they're all in balance, that's when we kind of find harmony in our, in our lives. Do you think sort of fear as well has something to do with it in terms of, in terms of resilience of sort of pushing yourself forward if you don't have the fear of what's ahead, you sort of are more managed in these sort of situations. It's more manageable, sorry, in these situations. Yeah, fear, fear is a fascinating topic. And um, it's, it's a question. So uh, a couple of years ago, um, and the past couple of years, I suppose, been working on this project. It's uh, been working with um, like anti-poaching rangers on this, like a long term. So they go and do sort of six months, train the trainer, if you like, um, getting these anti-poaching units uh, sort of the rangers from these anti-poaching units across Africa um, and training them up uh, in various skills. Um, one of those skills that started being implemented a couple of years ago was uh, was resilience training. And um, I went along uh, with another guy to help out with that. Um, and it was really fascinating taking people who are literally putting their lives on the line, often on a weekly basis, they're involved in firefights and things. Um, and... Uh, talking to them about fear and what fear is and then learning to manage it um, because fear is incredible like the way that I see it is in our brains have kind of got two creatures that kind of live in there you've got uh, the human brain which is logic and reasoning and you've got like the the animal brain in there as well um, which is uh very primal it's the limbic system it's very primal it's the hypothalamus the amygdala um and it's it's but it's incredibly powerful it's like the oldest part of our brain um and its primary role is to keep us safe so it's continually scanning the environment around us for uh any threats to us uh and as soon as it spots any threat however minor it will trigger this flooding of chemicals and hormones through our system uh, which readies us for the fight, flight, freeze response uh, and the stress response that leads on from that. Um, the human brain, however, is is much is a much newer part of our brain, but it's much it's much much slower because it's so powerful. It takes a huge amount of energy to run it, um, so it takes quite a long time to kind of get that part of our brain switched on. Whereas, like you know, the um, the animal part is the bit that snatches the wine bottle off, out of the air as it's falling down. Uh, whereas before the human brain has been like, oh, my wine <laughs> and gone for that. So um, it's it's much, much slower. But 
without fear and without that response triggering like we wouldn't survive very long as a species or we wouldn't very or as individuals because you wouldn't understand risk so stepping out in front of a car you wouldn't understand the danger uh, and you'd get squashed um so we need that fear but then it's what we do with it when it's triggered uh is what counts so it's like how can you control that so you've got a split second there to be able to get the human part of your brain re-engaged um, and this is what we were doing with the rangers is like we were using uh, the perception of risk. So we were using height, uh, you know, with rock climbing techniques and viaferatas and things to trigger the fear response and then get them to be able to see in themselves how it worked, how it was triggered and then how to talk themselves back down again. Um, and it's a really powerful tool um, for kind of exploring your own resilience and fear and fear is a survival mechanism it's absolutely amazing um but it shouldn't be controlling our lives yeah i i always i mean yeah we sort of touched upon it very briefly earlier before the podcast started but i sort of feel like our brains are sort of designed to make us lazy to designed to make us comfortable and you have to sort of really force yourself out of it because you know i i don't know about you but i always consider myself one of the laziest people and I, th- I think that's because comfort is so easy and so you're trying to sort of force you and so you, you suddenly try and put yourself in difficult situations to sort of grow to try and challenge yourself I suppose also I and I imagine in in Africa when you were training these sort of people did you come across uh sort of hostile situations yeah, so just just going back there, like survive. So it's not laziness. It's like survival is all about conservation of energy. So it's like all all animals. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's an elephant, a human, a dog, cat. You know, whatever it is, it's all of our life. It's all about like conservation of energy because our when going back to our kind of caveman, cavewoman ancestors, which is kind of where our evolution sort of kind of slowed down a lot. Um, for them, you know, food wasn't readily available uh, and energy sources weren't readily available. So everything, we evolved to not expend more energy than we're getting in. So over the winters, although we don't hibernate as such, we do have chemical releases and stuff in our brains and in our bodies to cut to slow us down um, so that we're not running around in a time which for our ancestors would have been very sparse um, that kind of holds us in place. So you know, the way I see it is like, it's not, it's not laziness, it's conservation of energy. And I see this, I've seen this in myself when I've been dropped into situations where, you know, like just a a knife or machete for like weeks on end into jungles and deserts um, to survive. It's like everything in you is trying to hold you still to conserve that energy. This is why like real survival shows are boring (laughs) and like, because people just want to sit and do nothing because it's they're trying to conserve energy. Um, but this is where that human part of the brain is so powerful because in our everyday lives, because we've got all the resources we need on tap, we can override that with that human part of the brain and be like, yeah, okay, well, look, I have eaten. I have got my food here. I do need to go for a run now and actually burn some calories. Yeah, it is so, so sort of fascinating. And also how years of evolution has sort of pushed us, uh, I you know, it's like why we go into a restaurant and we always want to be facing out because that's a human instinct that we like to sort of view our surroundings because we don't want to have something jump us, jump from behind us. We always like to be against the wall looking out, whereas, as you say, other animals are completely different. But yes, yeah, sorry, going back to sort of the, uh, what's it, working in Africa, did you have sort of hostile situations when you were training rangers i was about to say poachers but completely wrong wrong word uh training these uh rangers and uh, not on that one no no so i didn't have any because it, it was very um i mean we had a lot of because we're out in the bush on, on foot so we are meeting elephant and uh like buffalo which uh, kind of nicknamed the black death because they're they're actually one of the most dangerous creatures in the bush the angry uh, creatures so you're kind of having to look out for those all the time um but the very nature of the work that i do um because well since the age of 17 it's like i've kind of spent you know 10 11 months of each year away in these remote kind of wilderness places uh, by the very nature of the work that i do 
they are inherently dangerous and I have like run into various situations like uh, been shot at a few times and <laughs> held hostage and <laughs> all sorts of exciting exciting things obviously my a huge part of the work that I do is to mitigate and to minimize the risk of any of this stuff happening but you know when you're going into kind of politically unstable environments uh, or environment like with the environment like exposure and weather and all of this kind of can play a part in it as well so as much as I kind of try to mitigate there's always something that happens so and this is something I would say to anybody who's wanted to get into kind of expeditions or you know to go off and travel and things a lot I know that on social media it looks like you've got these um you know you've got you're off on these incredible adventures and you know so I think social media can be a little bit misleading and so none of the trips or very very few of the trips that I do are just disappearing off into the wilderness with no prior preparation because <laughs> it's for me all the, these trips particularly because most of the trips and things that I do I'm actually responsible for the lives of everybody else on that trip uh, so it's really really important that I build like a safety net beneath the expedition because just like life like these expeditions never go fully to plan uh, and there's always something that happens that where you need to change uh, plans and having that safety net beneath you of communication with the outside world of um, having evacuation plans uh, for particularly like for the TV work I do there's a lot of like risk like the more boring part of my job is to write these very comprehensive risk assessments uh, which nobody ever been reads <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have to do that anyway. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of preparation that goes into all of these uh, sort of remote trips. Um, and I would advise that to, to anybody who's going because so, you know, if you do in the uh, frustrating event that you have to call out help that somebody knows where you are and can actually find you. Um, so, yeah, anybody going off into these these places for sure, do the preparation and the research beforehand. Yeah, I think uh, we've had a few people on uh, with Anna Blackwell who got into a bit of difficulty in Sweden and she had one of those sort of Garmin GPS trackers. So she just pulled it and, you know, within a couple of hours, people are there. But, you know, if she didn't have that, she was stranded. And it's sort of very important with that to, yeah, as you say, be prepared, but also sort of adaptable because I imagine in your line of work, probably there's a lot of conflict between as you say you're the health and safety inspector on these on these sort of trips and there are people who are wanting to go bigger and wilder and sort of feel that they can do it and you have to sort of rein it in yeah it's um definitely this is like this is a a big uh thing that i come into so on the expedition front then yeah there if you know from leading a trip somewhere and, and sometimes like it can be like your sixth sense that's triggered that's like you've I've like I've got up in the morning and just been like something feels off like I don't think we should be going for this summit or I don't think we should be going further into the jungle or you know where, wherever it is whatever the trip is um and there's something inside me that's telling me that we shouldn't carry on that we need to stop um and I've learned to listen to that. And it's really hard. It's so, so hard to quantify that to clients, particularly if clients have paid a hell of a lot of money to achieve whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And you telling them that they can't go and do something because of a hunch is uh, can be really difficult um, to manage and manage their expectations. Um, but I've learned over the years, I've learned to listen to that. And this kind of, again, goes back to that kind of evolution thing of like, intuition and the way that I see intuition is like we've got this um so we've got our subconscious and we've got our conscious and like 90% maybe more of cognitive function is happening in our subconscious there's only a tiny tiny little bit it's like an iceberg there's only a tiny tiny little bit of conscious above this huge vast iceberg um and the subconscious role is to protect the conscious mind from all the different stimulations that are coming in. So whenever I get that sixth sense, that kind of like anxiety and like feeling of like, shit, something's wrong is I will stop and listen in because what I figured is that often that anxiety and that sixth sense feeling comes from uh, like an unformed image coming through. So my mind my body you know the senses have picked up on something that's changed within the environment 
um, and it sent me through like a picture of this, uh, but it hasn't got the full picture and hasn't sent it all through. So I will stop and I'll listen to that and I'll really assess. Um, and it's literally kept me alive and kept teams alive on quite a few occasions. Um, so that's like the expedition side of things. In the filming side, because I work on like, literally they are like the biggest <laughs> adventure shows on TV um, with huge budgets, with mega, mega stars involved in them as well. And there's always the pressure to uh, to go bigger, to do bigger stunts, to do bigger challenges, to go further afield. Um, and this is this is where my role is can be quite difficult because I'm involved in the creative. So I'm in, involved in like the story producing. So coming up with the journey. So I'll be the first person out on the ground scouting for locations and putting together the journeys. Um, but I'm also in charge of the safety on these shoots as well. Um, and that's my number one priority. And it's like when I'm up against, you know, huge networks, huge presenters, huge stars who want to go bigger, 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 but it becomes dangerous and we can't manage it with the time constraints and the budget constraints. Um, yeah, you have to get <laughs> very good at like, you have to grow quite a thick skin because when you're putting your foot down and saying no, um, it can be quite, yeah, you can get a lot of like shit thrown at you and a lot of people hating you. <laughs> but like the way that over the years, you know, like I've come to trust myself and my judgment with these things and it comes from experience. And in those situations, I will, if I have to say no um, on a film job, I'll always have a backup plan. So it'd be like, no, we can't go and do whatever ridiculous thing that you want to do. Because uh, often these things have been kind of um, dreamed up in some office in LA where the people there have never actually been into these environments. Um, so it's like, well, no, we can't actually do that. <laughs> but we can do this instead and it will look epic. Oh, I see that. That certainly ticks the box and makes them happy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, to, to some extent. <laughs> It's, yeah, you have to get like, because um, a lot of the producers, lot of, particularly from like sort of America and, and things, it, it can be quite, quite volatile, like creative, creative, very creative people who can be quite volatile and, and things. So, yeah, I've kind of got quite good at having a having a thick skin, not take it personally. And, you know, like, you know, once we start filming and they actually see it, that, you know, you'll be, be their best mate. So it's, it's all good. They love it. I mean, you, you did sort of touch upon it earlier, but... You sort of said you've been shot at, you've been held hostage. I mean, on these trips, have there been moments of trouble for you? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it does. It happens happens from, from time to time. Um, yeah, I mean, some of it we keep relatively quiet because of like the NDAs, because of people involved and all of this sort of stuff. Um, but then there, there have been times um, so we did a job in Mexico like god probably about 10 years ago now uh and we had we had several run-ins with like with drug cartels and and things like hunting us um because we were we were filming like four by four show like a four by four survival show it was it was really cool it was like three months out in Mexico just doing some really cool stuff with these um with these four by fours um and uh, yeah, we, we were basically using some of the four by four routes that we were using were um, drug running routes. Um, and our, we had like a local fixer. So whenever we do these film jobs, we have uh, local fixers and the fixers job was to fix stuff to make stuff happen for us to get permits. They know the, the right people to talk to, the right people who need to be kind of paid off and all of this sort of stuff. And they help help us and help keep us safe from those perspectives um but sometimes the message doesn't always filter through um so yes we ended up being kind of hunted by drug cartels <laughs> late one night and like, i remember just hiding out in the bushes with these all these guys with these um semi-automatics kind of getting out and looking for us in the bushes and stuff <laughs> it's quite quite exciting um and then yeah kenya uh, about three years ago uh it was around the time when the the big drought was happening um, and we were out there filming um, something, uh, some big show and um, I'd been rigging. So we've been building this kind of big rope bridge thing uh, across a, across a Canyon, um, which had like 
crocodiles and stuff in the bottom of uh, and I was just finishing off one side and because we move so fast when we film I always like take little videos or take pictures and I just finished rigging and I was just taking pictures of where all the rigging points were so when we ran through the following day it would be like easily clip stuff in and things um and like I was just just taking a picture and suddenly this like bullet hit the sand right next to me and kind of exploded <laughs> like, um it was like obviously the like, first thing that goes through your head is like shit I'm being shot at here so it's like, kind of dived into this little cave um and it was bullets going off all over the cliff around me uh and yeah it was pretty pretty terrifying <laughs> in the moment uh, but it's amazing like in those situations they kind of go into kind of a moment a place of calm um so it's just them waiting and it kind of the firefight kind of swung around um, I managed to get off, slide down into this river, like sort of chest deep with these crocodiles we've been watching popping up and down, kind of swim, run through this river and up the other side to kind of this really steep uh, rock, um, pretty sheer rock face um, to get into like a bigger cave the other side where the two guys that I've been working with were. Um, and we spent about 20 minutes in this cave with like bullets bouncing off the roof of the cave um, above us uh, before we were able to put kind of died down a bit and we were able to get off down river uh, and back to the land cruise that we'd got parked off in the bushes um and it was just like moments like that because we afterwards you know when we were kind of investigating what happened uh, it had got nothing to do with us it was just that uh, one tribe had stolen a load of goats from another tribe um and a tracked the um the tribe attracted this other one other guys down they've been following them uh and the sort of firefight had broken out between them and meanwhile like a, a local ranger unit had set up an ambush so it was like three parties like all above where we were rigging uh all God. shooting at each other <laughs> was that sort of up in the la Kipia area? Uh, this was well it was um i can't remember the name of it, it was near a big uh big lodge um it's quite remote um i'm so bad with names don't worry, don't worry. Uh, yeah, because that must have been sort of, what, January, February 2017? Uh, yeah, it would have been. It was a few years ago now. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. It's like, this is the thing about like being away all the time. It all kind of runs into one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I sort of know um, Kenya quite well, so I do remember that time. Yeah, it was definitely like the whole area was like really unstable. And we had like a major star coming in the next day um and this is where i actually like the the way that it was handled by the production company that i was working for at the time was was really terrible really because it was like let's keep all this under under wraps um otherwise you know this person isn't gonna isn't gonna turn up um and that was really hard you know when when my role is like the safety of of, of people and yeah it was definitely it, brought up a lot of questions in my in my head over you know like the the value of, of human life and things because you know there's obviously people have lost their lives in this area um you know the day before we're supposed to be filming there and you know morally how right is it that we're kind of carrying on with with what we're doing and and all of this sort of stuff um so yeah that that's the the darker side i think of like of the film industry yeah i suppose as you say someone in a studio in the city doesn't quite get this sort of you know the jungle or the desert or the plains or something so yeah no. and there's also there's so there's so much money tied up in all of these things and it's so competitive now um i mean it's we're at quite an exciting time with like with filmmaking in that there's um in terms of like the sort of the normal like sort of standard channels and stuff are slowly kind of disappearing as we go more into kind of um streaming platforms and things so it's, it's quite an exciting time in like the evolution of tv and how we watch it and what's going to be happening but this is so competitive um because all these different networks are all competing for uh for content for stars for budgets um all of all of this sort of stuff and like viewers and things obviously so um yeah it, it can be an incredibly ruthless industry to be a part of as you say, the sort of media on the media angle, it is changing. And now, you know, everyone has a camera that can record for 20 minutes or so. They can make their own, they can upload it, and then they can be the, the star of their own TV program. And I think we had Benedict Allen on quite a few episodes back. And, you know, he was saying, you know, he used to go with his camera, record, which 
you know, now everyone just associates with vlogging, but he was doing that way before, way before anyone was sort of doing it on the sort of travel or YouTube per se. So no, as you say, it's a really sort of interesting time probably to be in media, as you say. Yeah, I think I think give it a few more, a, a few years, because I think what, what we'll probably see now um, is in terms of like the streaming platforms and things as they try to set themselves up and establish themselves we're, they, we're going to be making like a lot of shop window content like big names already recognized names uh, to draw viewers in uh, and then i think you know once they become established hopefully there'll be more budget then um, in like two or three years time to then start bringing on new talent um, start uh, creating new content and new formats and, and things. Um, so I think it's, yeah, we've, we've got a, this bit of an evolution going on now, but it's like you said, it's like, you, this is what's so exciting about like social media and like the way the access that we've got to people doing really cool stuff, because you can kind of tune in to whatever really, and whatever your interests are. Um, and so, yeah, like there's some amazing people making great adventure content uh, and and streaming it themselves on YouTube and other their own platforms and things, which is which is great. Yeah, no, I I agree. It's just very interesting how people react under pressure, and that, that was one thing I really sort of, as you say, wanted to sort of cover. And I suppose your plan now is to carry on. I mean, the world's now opening up, so you've got sort of more more media stuff coming in the coming years, coming so months. Um, yeah, so there's yeah, there's been a lot of like shows that have been on um, on hold through this through this period. Um, so yeah, it's been great for being able to do like been doing remote consultancy. I've also um, sold a couple of my own show ideas. Um, so actually seeing those go into development um, and hopefully um, be made uh, is is really is very very exciting. Um, yeah so hopefully in the next few months that those will actually get out on the ground um and i can oversee those projects being made which would be super cool are they local or around the world oh they're international so um uh one has gone to a us network and the other one has gone to a korean network oh amazing god so you'll be spending a bit of time out in korea you hope I, I hope so actually yeah yeah though it, that, that one i'll actually probably be filmed that'll be filmed around asia so that's not just not just korea so that'll be yeah filmed all over but like i this the whole kind of pandemic the whole lockdown period kind of made me realize you know like i've spent so much of my life on the road um and it's been absolutely amazing um uh, but then that it makes me realize that there are this this time actually kind of being in one place and actually um i suppose like getting out and back doing stuff for myself uh, which is where you know my love for the outdoors and my passion for what i do kind of originally came from and kind of going back into that like um having this time has actually kind of realized made me realize that you know that there you also need time for yourself and time chasing your own passions as well um so that's yeah it's kind of the next chapter kind of involves more of my own adventures and picking and choosing more cleverly like the projects that I'm involved with. Do you do 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 quite a lot of your own sort of expeditions like for your own personal growth and development? Um, I used to so that's that's how I first got into the into the outdoor industry Um, originally was because I wanted to spend more time climbing and (laughs) being outside for myself Um, and then yeah when I first started guiding like I was like 17 18 at the time uh, and I, I really didn't enjoy it I was like I had to go really slowly and I had to look after these people who would just complain and things and I really I really didn't enjoy it I was like what am I doing like um, and then I then I realized and I it was like on an expedition I was leading an expedition out to Nepal and I just realized that um, I had to change my mindset on this and it, it wasn't about me like when I'm guiding when I'm leading it's not about me it's about the people that are in my care um and so I kind of I have two personas I've got my own 
self that when I'm in the mountains or when I've, when I'm out, it's like, for me, it's about pushing my own personal limits and seeing what I'm capable of. And then I've got my guiding persona, which is all about pushing other people and going on a journey with other people. And it's the most incredible thing, helping somebody achieve something that they didn't think that they were capable of and accompanying them on this kind of roller coaster of emotions to get them to that like literal and figurative summit summit of the uh, of their their mountain or you know survival or whatever it might be and that's just it's the most incredible thing being part of part of that journey so yeah very much two ways of interacting with the with the outdoors yeah i suppose what was your sort of first big adventure when you started i think it was, i was just i was very very fortunate that um I end up working for companies that um, that were, I suppose, were kind of cutting edge at the time of like taking people on these expeditions. So my very first expedition that I co-led with my boss at the time um, was to Namibia, and we went out um, and we there was a two-week-long expedition with clients, but we had like three weeks, I think it was, before the clients arrived. And we went out and we spent two weeks with the Sam Bushman um, and we were, we were working with them, kind of learning loads and loads from them. Um, and then we went off for, for a week and would just put their skills into practice um, in, the, in the bush, in the Namibian bush there. Um, and then when we had clients come out, we then went with several Bushman families out into pretty remote and just had like two weeks totally off grid, um, just living off the land uh, with these with these Bushman families. Um, so yeah, so that was like my first that was the first expedition I did, and then I did a, I did a lot of work for World Challenge for um, Adventure Works, which used to be like Jagged Globes, like youth expeditions and stuff. Um, yeah, and kind of I suppose just built it built it up from there until I kind of got more involved with the with the TV side of things. Yeah, because I think on you know on this podcast, one of the one of my big aims is always to try and encourage people to sort of get out and you know explore their limits. And by having someone like you on, you know, who's done such incredible stuff over the years, hopefully it sort of encourages them to be like, oh, I I can at least try and do that tiny thing that compared to what you're doing and that's sort of one of the big aims of it and you know on so far you know we've covered fear and why and get just getting out and why how your brain just tells you right don't do that don't do that (laughs) (laughs) no I think in terms of like you know for people wanting to get out because what has been drawn to my attention recently and this is like the guide and like the safety management side of me um, talking and thinking about it is that um, what I see on social media and stuff is there's a lot of people going off on these adventures and on these challenges and things with very, very little prior training beforehand uh, or not fully showing the fact that they're actually being guided, that they've actually got a guide with them or um, that they've done all these training courses and stuff beforehand. Um, So yeah, so for, for anybody who's wanting to to kind of get into adventure and go off into these remote um, amazing places, um, which I totally recommend, is to go and do training courses. There's like a whole industry of guides and leaders like myself who can take you and teach you the skills that you need for that expedition, whether it's a whitewater kayaking trip or if it's a survival trip or mountaineering trip. You know, there's outdoor professionals in all fields in all walks of adventure and you know it won't break the bank to go and book yourself onto a course for a weekend for a week learn the basic skills of like navigation of uh wild camping of like how to dress yourself in these environments these like the foundation or fundamental skills that so many people don't pick up and don't realize that they don't know until it's too late um so yeah just go and get the training because it's like behind every single photo on social media there's a whole backstory that you never see so these pictures that people have taken in these beautiful remote environments there's been like a whole series of events and training and things that have got somebody to that point where they can go and take that photo um so please do go and get training because you know I'm, I'm based here in snowdonia and it's like you know chatting to the mountain rescue and it's like they're out quite a lot at the moment just because people aren't 
uh, equipped with the very basic knowledge of, of how to dress appropriately or how to navigate um, or just how to look after themselves in, in that environment. And it will just set you up for your a comfortable career in adventuring and exploring. I think there was a thing the other day in the news about someone who got stuck up either Ben Nevis or up in the Snowdonia wearing, you know, sort of shorts and flip-flops or something, you know, got caught short and the snow came in and they sort of rescued them with just like absolutely nothing on. So, no, yeah. it's, it's funny, but it's just like, you know, I laugh and I still laugh now, like, you know, like laugh. But the thing is, it's like, you don't know what you don't know until you're in that situation. Yeah, <laughs> and then of course. it's like, but this is where like going and doing the training beforehand kind of gives you some skills. But it's also like, I do think as well, we've got a lot of transferable skills as well from from our, our walks of life. So it's like actually kind of really thinking through like what your actions are and what, what you're actually doing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it may be easier said than done. But <laughs> Yeah, as you say, you know, it's, it's something probably you know, myself and you just take for granted that, you know, growing up and knowing this stuff or learning it from a young age, it's just almost second nature. But yeah, someone, social media, which is, as you say, puts always, you always show the very sort of glamorous or very uh, beautiful side to every photo and don't show the sort of background and the story behind the photo. Um, well, Megan, there's a part of the show where we ask the same five questions to each guest each week, with the first being, what gadget do you always take with you? So I always take a satellite phone with me um, or some means of communicating. I usually have a satellite phone and like an in-reach or something with me as well. So I usually try to have like two methods of communicating with the outside world. Um, yeah, just because to look after myself but also because you know I'm, I'm actually looking after other people in these environments and it'd be irresponsible of me when that technology exists not to take it with me yeah uh what about your favorite adventure or travel book <laughs> um does um like the does the lord of the rings count it does we've, we've had it a few times yeah, well, it's just, I, I think because I work in adventure and because it's like reading, I mean, I, there's some people doing amazing things, writing some amazing books, but I actually really struggle to read adventure books just because it's like being at work and it's like, I need the escape. So at least like if they're hobbits and <laughs> stuff, it's a little bit, a little bit different. <laughs> I mean, I think as we've always said, that was quite the adventure. <laughs> It, it was, but I think it's like, it also like, it makes you realize like what I always thought, because when I was a kid, when I first read it, I was just like, oh, I really want to be like one of these little hobbits off on an adventure. And then I was thinking about it, like as an adult and thinking about it, it'd be like, God, it'd be super shit to be like a hobbit because it's like, you, you've got, yeah, you, everything is trying to kill you. And it's like, you've got no, the fear like that they must be experiencing like the entire way, way round. I mean, I'm sure once they've dropped this ring up in the volcano that they probably needed treatment for like PTSD or something. It must've been really traumatized. Um, why are adventures important to you? I guess it's more the question of why the why they wouldn't be. Um, I think it's something that it's it's always been a huge huge part of of my life from from a very young age. Like it was a huge part of my childhood through to now. I guess it's just it's it's who who I am. Um, and without it, without being able to step out of my comfort zone to be able to push myself, it's like I get a real like anxiety. Um, I also have um, ADD. Uh, which is something that I've suspected for a long time, but sort of been diagnosed more recently. And it's like the inability to kind of sit still. So um, I think the work that I do is fantastic for me because my brain works at a million miles an hour. And with the work I do, it's like I'm over so many different things. It's like my brain can focus. Whereas outside of adventure, it's like, yeah, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't just sit here in front of my computer like <laughs> all day. So it's, it's really important for my mental health as well as my physical health. What is your favorite quote or motivational quote? Yeah. So this, this is from, um, Sucker Punch, the film, which I think is a really weird film and I didn't really get it, but it's, um, the quote is you have all the weapons you need now fight. And it's like, for me, that's what I remember. Like when the shit hits the fan on a trip 
It's like, I've got all the skills I need to deal with this. I may not have been in this exact situation before, but I've been in similar situations or I can draw on experience from elsewhere and, you know, and, and I'm going to fight. I'm going to make this, this happen. Oh, that's a really good one. I haven't heard that one yet. There's a whole like poem thing. I've actually got it stuck on the wall here. Like that kind of goes with it. It's, it's amazing. Amazing. And people listening are always keen to travel and go on these sort of grand adventures. What's the one thing you would recommend for people wanting to get started? Uh, Like like I said in earlier in the interview, it's like is to go and get some training uh, in what you want to do. Like I said, there's like a whole industry of guides, instructors, leaders in whatever discipline that you're wanting to travel to do. Uh, and I cannot recommend it enough going and booking yourself on with somebody who can help you push your limits um, and teach you a lot. And it's a, it, it, it doesn't, if you've got a group of you as well, it really doesn't cost very much um, to do that. And it will just set you up. And it means that the next adventure that you go on, um, you'll be able to do it with a lot more confidence and it'll be a much more comfortable experience as well. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, as I was reading that one, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah we have just <laughs> literally just before the five questions. <laughs> um, finally, what are you doing now and how can people follow you in the future? Um, so at the moment, I because we're just kind of coming out the end of the pandemic, um, I am just I've been using this time. I'm actually kind of using the time at the moment. Um, I'm away in September on another film job. Um, and to that point, up until then, it's like I'm working on remotely um, consulting for, for some shows. There's some pretty exciting new shows being made. Uh, so I'm remote, doing remote consultancy for them. And I'm um, rebalancing body and mind and actually, yeah, old injuries <laughs> that uh, kind of started niggling. Um, I've actually had time now to kind of really kind of focus on like rebalancing and uh, getting my energy level up as well. because you know, when, when you're away so much for so much of the year and responsible for, you know, well, for multi-million dollar shoots and uh, people, um, it's, yeah, I totally underestimated like the the draining effect that that has. Um, so it's actually, it's been really, really good. And I hugely appreciated this time actually just being in one place, getting into a bit of routine to kind of rebalance, rebalance like body, <laughs> what that is, uh, rebalance like body, body and mind, and actually kind of you know kind of ready for the for the next chapter. And it's yeah, super exciting. One thing we haven't touched on is you actually have a an amazing book. I, if you probably best you sort of tell the people because I sort of I, we haven't actually sort of touched upon it, but it was sort of talking about your life and this sort of skills that you've sort of acquired. Yeah, so uh, Mind of a Survivor um, was a book I wrote a few years ago now, um, and basically came from the question of like, uh, like wh- why are some people able to walk out of survival situations and others aren't, um, and like what are the traits that make up resilience and make that possible for somebody, um, mixed in with with some of my own kind of, st- of stories uh, from that time. Um, yeah, so it's on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll leave a link in uh, the description below. Cheers, yeah. No worries. Well, um, Megan, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to your stories and I cannot thank you enough for coming on today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. You can watch the podcast on YouTube now and don't forget to subscribe and sign up to the monthly newsletter, which is in the description below. I hope you enjoyed the show and if you did, tag me on Instagram at John Horsfall. I'm always keen to connect with other adventurers and I look forward to next week for another fascinating tale of adventure. But till then, have a great day and happy adventures.